0: Happy New Year to all our listeners. I'm Trevor Smith and this is Audio Mission from Church Mission Society, bringing you the voices of God's global mission. We're embarking on a world tour around the regions where our people in mission are at work today. Month by month, we'll be travelling to Asia, Africa, Europe and Latin America. We start with Asia. November saw a huge celebration take place in India. In the southern state of Kerala, Christians gathered in their tens of thousands to mark 200 years since the arrival of the first CMS missionaries there. Raj Patel, regional manager for Asia, was representing CMS along with the Reverend Shemil Matthew, who is part of our Asia Forum and himself a modern-day missionary sent by the Church of South India to the UK. Raj spoke to Jeremy Woodham about the experience just after he got back, the extraordinary way these historical figures were honoured and the message for today.
1: Over the last week I was in uh, Kerala in a place called Kottir where the uh, Madhya Kerala Diocese is based and they had this amazing uh, celebration of a CMS that arrived in Kerala 200 years ago. Uh, the first of the missionaries was Thomas Norton who went to Alipi, set up a church there and a celebration, 200 years on where I suppose many of us in CMS would not even know the names of these folk uh, you see monuments you see accolades names on buildings you see how there's a real uh, felicitation that's the Indian word of, of these folk <laughs> in one way or another the event and I was told that 100,000 people attended it was in the nearest stadium which holds that number of people as I looked out from the stage I could see um, you know this massive number of people and people kept coming and going but at one time the whole place was full including the ground as well as the stalls and um, would you on a day which was 30 32 degrees centigrade um, very few facilities come out and celebrate in this way and they came out and celebrated not only in numbers but in real real joy and uh, it was quite um, humbling to see how CMS missionaries, who are no different than any of the folk that we send out today, very very normal, real people, but with a great confidence in the calling that they had, a great ability to just keep working uh, despite unknowns, despite difficulties. And in a sense, taking that ethos of CMS when it was started, and it was started around this time, which was to free those people that were being exploited, whether it was, you know, slavery in the West or whether it was oppression and marginalisation in the South. And, um, and that, that, I think, was really very, uh, for me, I don't know if anyone else saw that, but for me as a CMS person, very um, fulfilling. I and mean, I thought, wow, it, you know, it reminded me what CMS is about on the Sunday... The day after the celebratory event, there were loads of church services, <coughs> and the, the one in the cathedral, they commissioned 210 uh, missionaries uh, that would be going across India and, and, and elsewhere.
2: What do the, the the Christians there in Kerala now see as the when they're looking back? Why do they want to have this big celebration? Really, what do they see as the the significance for them today?
1: Ah, uh, it's a celebration, um, a recognition. An appreciation. I think a lot of it also is about identity. You know, it's you know about belongingness. You know, it's all of those things together. Very difficult to describe. But uh, I suppose I found myself. I, I, I preached at a church in a rural area on Sunday, uh, miles away from anywhere. Um, small fishing community. And I met some very everyday people, you know, living day to day, hopefully catching enough to, to live on. And um, uh, and when I met them, I thought, well, here are folk who at one time, you know, now they are uh, living at subsistence level, but uh, are part of a church, a small village, had a church congregation of 80 on the day I went. <laughs> you know, I think many of our city churches are that size. And, uh, you know, here's a small village that could attract so many. So these are normal people. Now, why would they want to celebrate? But I think what I saw was that they felt that they had a, a way out of marginalization and exploitation that allowed them now to be themselves. That's what I mean by identity. Their identity was no longer defined by who was controlling them and oppressing them. Their identity was defined by who God had created them. And God had created them as fishermen and women. God had created them as agriculturalists, as paddy fuel workers. And they were able to go to church and celebrate God, but also without forgetting. This was the, the catalyst, the trigger CMS missionaries of 200 years ago that opened up their pathway to this freedom. And I think that's why they were celebrating. It wasn't just, they they weren't trying to please anyone, they were just pleased.
0: Raj Patel reflecting on the legacy of CMS in Kerala 200 years on. And there are many new possibilities to join in God's mission in Asia. Go to the Mission Opportunities section on our website, churchmissionsociety.org, to find out more. But of course, as we've already indicated, today's world of mission isn't only a one-way street. Bishop Irfan Jamil of Lahore in Pakistan has been in the UK to celebrate Sadhu Sundar Singh Day with CMS. It was all part of Asia Prayer and Aware, a campaign throwing the spotlight on mission to and from Asia and Asians. It's being run and organised by grassroots supporters, and Bishop Irfan had come to address a youth event in North London, which focused on inspiring young people through the life of Sadhu Sundar Singh, the famous Indian Christian mystic. Also attending was Bishop P.K. Samantarai from India, and this demonstration of cross-border unity was one of the many lovely aspects to the day. Jeremy Woodham asked Bishop Irfan about Lahore's connections with Sadhu Sundar Singh.
3: He had his theological education in Lahore, which is a part of the Lahore Diocese now. He was studying at St. John's Divinity School, and he was living in St. John's hostel there. Then, of course, the second thing is one of the church, most probably maybe the only church in the world, which was his foundation stone was laid by Sadhu Sunda Singh, 13 March 1929. It is in Okara, which is again our diocese. Then he used to village, visit one of our village which is Dochak Bethlehem Chak is a village, you know, so where he will often go there. So his early education, his stay laying the foundation of the church, wasting other things. So it's very close link within the
2: diocese. So firstly, tell me about prayer and aware, why you are attracted to be part of that campaign, and then about Sadhu Sundar Singh, what's
3: the significance of, of him in that context? Well, I think prayer and aware, because this is very important, wherever you live, I think it's time to pray. Now, if you look at the life of Jesus, he said, watch and pray. So, I think prayer and awareness goes together. We have to be aware of what is happening socially, economically, religiously, politically, all over the world. And then pray situation for wisdom and guidance, for strength for all those people just coming up. Then I think it's also very important as we talk about Sundar Singh in that connection also. Now, Sadhu Sundar Singh was not only a sadhu or a saint for subcontinent. But God prepared him in that part and from the Asia, from East, he went to the West. He traveled many countries in the Western world and he was sharing the gospel. So starting from Jerusalem, you know, when he met Jesus Christ, he immediately went to his father and he said, Father, I have met Jesus. He had a strong personal experience. And which is very, very important. Unless and until you don't have that experience of Jesus, it's hard to preach. So he went and shared his experience. Not forcing things, but sharing how he met Jesus. And then from Jerusalem, his own house, he went to the other part of the world, sharing the good news. So it was from Asia to the Western world. And I think the connection continues. Now it's time. We are so grateful people from the Western world went into the Eastern world. But I think now it's our time from our places to give things what God has given us. So in that way, Sadhu Sundar Sangh was there from his country, going to the place, not forgetting his own people. And I believe that should just continue from our place to the Western world, sharing the good. And he was a gift, not only for this subcontinent, but to the world, as God has given a gift to us in Jesus Christ. So sharing his ministry. And now it's time for us to pass it on the good news. So that makes me more exciting about the life of Sadhu Sundar Singh. And it encourages me to share the gospel with others.
2: Do you see now in action mission going on from your part of the world to other parts of the world? What do you see happening?
3: Everybody is contributing to the society here, in particular England and in Europe also. In the field of education in the field of medicine in the politics people are member in the parliament so i believe this is our ministry now we encourage people that god has not brought you here for green pastures only not just an opportunity but i think god has his own way of doing things so through various spheres, whatever god has given you pass it on to the other
2: now at the prayer and aware event you were together with bishop samantaroy from india Um, just across the the border. What was the significance of that for you?
3: I think number one significance is that we belong to the universal church. Significance that through the blood of Jesus Christ, the human boundaries doesn't make much difference, but it is unity there.
0: Bishop Irfan of the Diocese of Lahore in the Church of Pakistan, celebrating the unity all nationalities can share in Christ. Now we focus on Nepal, in the company of someone who is both an old and new friend of Church Mission Society. Old in the sense that he represents United Mission to Nepal, and new in that he only recently took up the post of executive director there. Sarah Holmes met Joel Harvenstein when he visited us in Oxford, and got the lowdown on one of the world's most mountainous countries.
4: CMS is one of the founding uh, partners of United Mission to Nepal. Uh, Sixty-two years ago, when Nepal first opened up to the outside world, uh, UMN came together as a, a joining of uh, different mission groups from around the world to serve the people of Nepal. And uh, even to today, we have uh, CMS mission partners serving with us in uh, in Nepal. There are about 34 members um, of UMN. Some send people, uh, some fund projects, but all of them are uh, coming together for the common work of service in Nepal.
5: And what does UMN in Nepal look like?
4: It looks like a lot of different offices in some of the most remote and poorest bits of the country, uh, where we have uh, small teams that we call our cluster teams, who work with a cluster of local Nepali groups. Uh, and some of those will be groups that have come together to work on disability, helping disabled people, um, or people living with HIV, or low-caste people on uh, the, the rights of uh, the oppressed. And UMN's cluster team will come alongside them and work with them to help them grow. Uh, to help them grow in a way that makes them better able to um, transform the communities that they're part of and the districts that they're part of, both while the partnership with UMN lasts and afterward. We also work with networks of churches to um, encourage, inspire, and equip them to serve their communities.
5: What about the church growth in Nepal?
4: Well, if you look back... um, 70 years uh, Christianity was banned in Nepal. Uh, Nepalese who converted were kicked out. Uh, the same was also true of uh, certain kinds of Buddhism. When the country opened up, that changed, and the uh, church began to grow and uh, has been growing um, at a very quick rate ever since. I wouldn't say there's been exponential growth recently compared to um, the, the growth that's been you know, steady and fast um, since the country opened up. Um, and a lot of it is people who um, come from lower castes and uh, who are encountering, um, many of them for the first time, a worldview that says that they have equal value uh, to anyone from any other caste. Um, and you know, unsurprisingly, they find that a very attractive idea, and they're drawn to it. People who um, often come from the poorer parts of those communities uh, are uh, coming to the church um, as well as some from the from the better off and you amen you know by the terms of uh, our agreement with the government of Nepal uh, we aren't there to convert anyone we don't convert anyone um, we are there to uh, serve people uh, serve the poorest people, um, and we say we do it in the name and spirit of Jesus Christ uh, we're not embarrassed to share why we're there and who we are. But the Nepali Church has grown um, with its own evangelists, with its own leaders. Uh, And from the very beginning, there's been a policy by UMN's member agencies that they wouldn't send anyone to be a leader in the Church. No missionary pastors, no missionary presidents of theological colleges, that um, the Nepali Church would be Nepali-led and uh, develop... um, by what Nepali leaders um, felt for themselves as they as they read the Bible, as they prayed, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's been a uh, ha- that vision has borne wonderful fruit in a church that is very distinctively Nepali, a church that doesn't look and feel like a, a Western export. It's a church that has some very distinctive ways or distinctive feeling ways of of worshiping and and praising. Um, they've got their own. Uh, nepali hymn book that uh, has some familiar sounding translations of international hymns but also um, is full of uh, songs written in the nepali folk style um, praising jesus the common practice of prayer in which everyone prays simultaneously and uh, you know you have hundreds of different uh, prayers rising up from all around the room Um, I, i find that very beautiful very powerful Pastors who uh, don't have a strong sense of denominational division, um, and who uh, you know have, in that sense, fewer fewer obstacles to uh, to coming together for prayer and healing, um, to coming together for service than uh, um, maybe some of our churches in the West do.
5: I'm trying to get a, a feel on the size of UMN in, in Nepal. You say there's lots of little sort of teams in different areas, but. Yeah. Can you? How do you quantify how do, how many people are there or how many um, areas you represented
4: yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. So we, I'd say we, we're working in um, 10 districts of Nepal, and that's out of 75 total. So, you know, um, a definite uh, small percentage of the country in that sense. And uh, we've got um, a couple of hundred people uh, spread across all those areas. And
5: most um, of those have been ne- Nepali people? Yep.
4: Yep. Now, UMN does have um, a couple of hospitals uh, that we founded. Um, one of them is uh, is 62 years old, same as UMN. And uh, we'd love to hand those over to Nepali ownership eventually, but we want to make sure we do it in a way that protects the ethos of serving the poor that they have there, of uh, providing free care for the poorest. So we're still working carefully on that. And uh, so we have about 50 international volunteers working with UMN, and about half of those are in our two hospitals, um, doctors, medical staff, and the other half are based in our Kathmandu office and traveling out to these 10 districts where we do our our work through local partners Mm -hmm. to strengthen their work in different ways.
5: The earthquake, is that where the bulk of your work has been focused perhaps in the last year or well, since they struck?
4: it's, it's It certainly has um, taken a huge amount of attention um, from the central office and from, uh, in fact, only one of the districts where we work was strongly affected by the earthquake. So that makes it a bit easier for us. We, we're focusing our response in that district through partners that we've worked with for a long time. And it's a uh,
5: rural area. It is
4: a very rural area. It's Mountain one. Accident, yeah. Yep. Uh, you, you drive as far as you can go and then you walk for uh, half a day to two days, depending on how far the road gets you. And uh, that's where you get to the area that we're now trying to rebuild schools in after the earthquake.
5: We hear that there's potentially more persecution of Christians in Nepal.
4: UMN has so far. Not experienced uh, harassment ourselves, for which I'm tremendously grateful. I think, in part, it's the 62-year history of service to Nepal that has uh, gained us, you know, quite a lot of people who do respect us, who respect the work we've done. I'd say I'm I'm also not feeling a great deal of personal stress about it because, you know, both my family when I was growing up and the Nepali church that we attended at the time. Um, thrived in a much more hostile climate than the one we see in Nepal today. And um, the church leaders that I've spoken to since taking on this role, they are um, confident that um, the church can handle the opposition that's being directed at it, that uh, the church has come through harder times, and that this may even be an opportunity for greater unity in the church, um, for people to uh, take more serious stock, count the cost of um, being a Christian. Um, and, uh, you know, they certainly want there to be religious freedom in Nepal. They want the laws to be uh, enforced fairly for Christian and non-Christian alike. But they're not afraid. Um, they aren't facing this increase in opposition with any sense of um that this is um, a major threat to the church in Nepal.
0: Join us in giving thanks for the work of UMN and praying for all involved in it, including our own mission partners, Andrea and Andrew Young. We like to finish audio mission with a different way to pray each time. And here's Ian Adams, Church Mission Society's Mission Spirituality Advisor, with a New Year-focused prayer exercise. New beginnings,
6: a prayer exercise for the new year. The new year is a time to commit ourselves to new beginnings. In the Gospels we rarely, if ever, find Jesus focusing on the past mistakes of the people he meets, but instead seeking to draw people into new and hopeful beginnings. This prayer exercise encourages us to move on from the past and to discover the possibility of new beginnings for ourselves. Fill a bowl with sand or rice, and take it into your prayer space. Ask yourself this question. What, if anything, do I need to leave behind? As something comes to mind, draw or write it in the sand or rice. Pause. And when you are ready, wipe your hand over the disturbed surface. This simple act is a new beginning. You may like to use this prayer. Jesus, bringer of hope-filled change, help me to let go of what must be left behind and draw me into your new beginnings.
0: That's all for this edition of Audio Mission. Join us next time for more Global Voices of God's Mission.